0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Every year, Oxford and Merriam-Webster issue a list of new words that they've added to the dictionary. And in 2013, they added the word FOMO, which is the acronym for the fear of missing out. That phrase, FOMO, has been around for a very, very long time, though. Maybe not the phrase, but the idea. And today, as Wes mentioned a minute ago, we're going to continue on in our series, Living Beyond the Fears that We Face. Last week, Pastor John talked about the fear of death, which so many people face Today, we want to talk about the fear of missing out because I believe this fear in particular has the possibility or the propensity to lead us into more sin than any other fear. If you're afraid of snakes, you stay away from snakes. If you're afraid of flying, you stay away from flying. But the fear of missing out and all that that entails can lead to a whole host of sins. Fear of missing out or FOMO has been described as the combination of anxiety and envy. Anxiety and envy. So already, just by its very definition, it's leading us to not trust God and to want something that's probably not ours. Which is why this fear is so incredibly dangerous. No one is exempt from this fear, by the way. You don't graduate from this fear until you're dead. Everybody does it. And in particular... Our youngest people in the room are being just obliterated with FOMO. Everything in their life has been instant gratification and instant notification. And so as adults, we like to think we've got this figured out, but we don't. But we have got to help our students and our kids figure this out. But it's also an incredible opportunity. I was at a conference a couple weeks ago. And uh, Barna was releasing some data on this latest generation. And David Kinneman said, there's two words to describe this current generation, ambitious and anxious. And if you don't help them figure out the anxious part, the ambition isn't going to matter, right? And part of that is not necessarily their, their fault. That's part of the world we live in. Smartphones exasperated this, this problem. 20 years ago, if somebody got a new car, you saw it driving down the street. Now, I've got a friend in Dallas who I haven't seen or talked to in five years, but I saw he got a car on on Instagram, and then I saw somebody else got a car, and then once I started looking for cars, then I got ads for cars, and suddenly I think I need a new car. And so this problem is in every area of our life. If we help our kids get good grades... And do well at sports, but we don't teach them how to deal with anxiety and the, this fear of missing out. This is going to be a massive, massive issue. The prevalence of FOMO surged after 9-11, honestly. And there's some good parts to FOMO. If you remember after 9-11, uh, I, grew up in co- I was in college during 9-11. And you had Pat Tillman who left the NFL because he had the fear of not making a difference. right? And the, the levels of increase into our military service after 9-11 were through the roof. right? There was a good part of FOMO. But there was also a bad part of it as well. The phrase, fear of missing out, was first coined in a marketing study in 1996. And I remember reading this this study in a class in college. Marketers understood that if we could get people to, to have a fear that they weren't able to get a hold of everything, it would lead them to buy everything. That's why Marlboro and Budweiser unleashed a campaign in 1993 that showed parties and people having a great time with a problem that they or with a product that they knew would kill you. They had to package it in such a way so that it draw your attention away from the surgeon general warning and put it towards what you were missing out on. And Satan the master of FOMO has been doing this forever. He's been attacking us at this inner level. And so while the phrase was coined in 1996, the idea is older than that. Think about uh, back to when the disciples are with Jesus in Matthew chapter 19. And they ask him about the rich man who's going to be able to get into to the kingdom of God. And Jesus tells them, he says, what? He says, you got to sell everything. And then Peter pipes up and he says, wait a minute. We did sell everything. What do we get? And so we see FOMO even present in that. And what does Jesus tell them in Matthew 19:29? He says, and everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and they'll inherit eternal life. The disciples were afraid. They had given up everything and they weren't sure it was worth it. And today, I think for some of us, we think following Jesus, we've given up some stuff and we want to know today, is it worth it? Can I tell you today that it absolutely 100% is? And I'm going to show you from God's word today why. You are not missing out on everything that you think you're missing out on. And that we can have great confidence, not in our ability, but in God's provision in our life. But the idea of FOMO goes older than Jesus. Uh, There was a guy in the Old Testament named Solomon who experienced massive FOMO. But the thing with Solomon was he not only had the resources, the power, but he also had the money to try anything he ever wanted to try. So what does it say? In Ecclesiastes, we find this from Solomon. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 4 through 11, Solomon says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I am asked silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well. If you don't know what a harem is, ask your neighbor. the delight of a man's heart. I became far greater than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart, no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor and toil, for this was the, or, all my labor, for this was the reward of my toil then pay attention to verse 11. Yet, yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I would toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained after the sun. If this guy, who was a king, and literally had everything that you could want, everything that your heart could desire, and he comes away at the end of it, and he's like, yeah, but you know what? It was all pretty much meaningless. What makes you think today that God's holding back something from you that you just have to have, that that you're going to be better off because you can't afford what Solomon could afford, nor do you want what Solomon had, I would argue. And so we see that this idea of FOMO is, is ancient. Matter of fact, it's so ancient, it goes all the way back to the very beginning. We're going to spend most of our time this morning in Genesis chapter three, if you want to flip over there. Now, the danger with Genesis chapter three is everybody's read Genesis chapter three before So I want to, just for a moment, just tell myself and tell yourself, I'm going to learn something new today. And you're probably not going to learn it because I said it. You're going to learn it because God, through his spirit, through his word, will reveal things that maybe we haven't seen before. And so if you would, just internally tell yourself, I'm going to learn something new today. Because when we come to a passage like this, you're like, I've heard this before, I know what happens. But do you realize that FOMO is what led Eve to sin. And FOMO, if you don't watch out for it, will lead you to sin. Genesis chapter 3, at the very beginning we see, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, said the serpent to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. We see Satan appear in the garden under the disguise of a serpent. And he does that over and over and over again in our lives. matter of fact, I would argue that FOMO is the disguise that Satan is using today. He's using something because if Satan would have just appeared... I often wonder, would Eve still have questioned what he said? But he used a disguise of a serpent. I don't know why, other than it says that he was more crafty and cunning. And this particular serpent started asking questions and throwing bombs towards Eve. FOMO appears to be the disguise of our day. I'm um, Think about it this way. You have to make the most of your day. You got to check off your bucket list before you die. You got to be the best that you can be all inherently not bad things by themselves are probably a great idea. Matter of fact, you could find a scripture to support most of those concepts. But what does Satan do? He takes the good that God intended and he distorts it and twists it and disguises it every single time. The serpent tells Eve, did God really say? Did God really say? Sin always starts with questioning one of two things, the goodness of God or God's word. The goodness of God or God's word. And the serpent says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say? I was reading this past week on this, and I think he also was not only questioning God, he may have been questioning Adam and his leadership as well. Because if you look back to chapter 2, which by the way, if you haven't read Genesis 2 and 3 lately, you've got to do that this week. In chapter 2, we see that God gives the command about what to do in the garden, and he gives it to Adam. Do you know who's not there? Eve. She wasn't even created yet. Now, I know all you ladies in the room are thinking, if it's left up to my husband to tell me the directions, it is not going to happen. Well, The good thing is it did happen. Adam did his part, thankfully, ladies. He did, Now, I don't often, but, and your husband may not often, but he did his part. He told her what God has said. But Eve wasn't even created when this command was given. So it was not only God may have repeated the command to Eve or he may have left it up to Adam to do it, but Satan is trying to go after Eve and trying to question or to get her to question God and I would also argue Adam. Verse two says, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from from the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. We always want what we can't have, right? And whether you're a toddler or whether you're 40 years old, if somebody says you can't have it, you want it. FOMO is a part of that. And it's now present in Eve's life because she's told, you can have any tree, but you can't have this tree. Now, what's interesting about chapter or verses two and three is that the woman said to the servant, we may not eat fruit from the trees. It's interesting that she adds that the fruit and you can't touch it. If you read chapter two, God never says anything about the fruit. He, says, he never says anything about it, you can't touch it. He says you, you can't have any part of the tree. And so Eve does what we often do. Maybe Adam did this to protect her. He said, hey, just don't even go, go near it. <laughs> Maybe he was trying to, to protect her, but I honestly think that resentment had set in and that, you know, like when, As a kid, if you remember, your parents told you you couldn't do something. And then you're like, man, my parents are so strict. They won't let me do anything. No, they just told you you couldn't go out on a Friday night. But what'd you do? You told everybody else, my parents are strict and I can't do anything. That resentment set in where basically we realize that somebody's in control and we're not. And Eve, I would argue, probably had that same thought. Because if you look at chapter 2, God took him and said, look, you... You can't touch the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You can't can't eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. Here's what you need to understand about FOMO. FOMO causes us to see what we want and to forget what we have. That's what Eve did, right? She saw what she wanted, the tree. And she forgot that every other tree was available to her. You and I do the exact same thing. We see what we want... And then we forget what we have. Matter of fact, uh, this is not in my notes today, but I want to just encourage you, if you have FOMO, you know the cure for FOMO is really gratitude. To look back at all that we have instead of only the one thing that we want. She had complete freedom to not just eat the fruit, but she could have ate the bark, she could have ate the limbs, she could have ate the leaves of any other tree in that entire garden. And God said, no, don't eat that one. It's the one rule they had, And they couldn't handle it. And I would argue today that you and I put in the same place in the same time would probably make the same unfortunate choice. So what's the one thing you don't have but you want? Is it that guy or that girl, that friendship or that relationship? Is it acceptance? Is it recognition? Is it more power or more money, a job or promotion? Is it a better vacation or a better car? In and of themselves, probably none of those things are necessarily bad. But when the fear of missing out leads us to believe that God isn't good, and we question what God's word has to say, something we are on very, very dangerous ground. Be careful because Satan is setting a trap. His ways have not changed. FOMO is a mirage that leads us to chase after things that we have no business chasing after. And so FOMO causes us to see what we want and to forget all that God has given to us. It goes on in verse 4. But you're not certainly going to die, the serpent said to the woman, <clears throat> Excuse me, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. It's interesting. Satan quotes God from chapter two, or yeah, from Genesis chapter two. He questions the seriousness of God. You're, you're not going to die. God wouldn't do that to you. And he seems to make Eve think that she could be like God. Uh, interestingly enough, this is what Satan wanted. Right, He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be in control. And he's trying to tempt Eve to want the same things that he wanted. Their eyes would indeed be opened, but not in the way that he promised. It's also interesting that this is the same way that Satan went after Jesus. There's a chart behind me here, and it gives you a picture of what he tempted Eve with and what he tempted Jesus with. And if you look at it, he's probably tempting you and me with some of the same things, right? There's that appeal to physical appetite. You may eat of any tree. And he told Jesus, you can eat by changing stones to bread, right? You catch me on a good day. I might be okay. You catch me on a day when I'm hungry. I'm making terrible decision after terrible decision after terrible decision, going after our appetite. Appeal to physical safety and well-being. Oh, you're not going to die. He tells Jesus, jump off. You'll be fine right? For us, especially in 2023, we are, we are bubble wrapped and helmeted up for every single thing that could potentially hurt us. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But Satan often will appeal towards the things. And then lastly, appeal to power, or glory. He tells Eve, you're going to be like God. Now, none of us are probably waking up this morning thinking we're going to be like God, but we want to be God of our own little kingdom in our own little house in our own little corner of town. And So that appeal to power or glory he tells Jesus, look, you can have all the world's kingdoms that you want. What's Jesus telling? You're not in charge. So be careful because FOMO can lead us towards sins that we never would head to before. The second thing about FOMO is FOMO causes us to rationalize our desires that lead to sin. FOMO causes us to rationalize our desires that lead to sin. Your desires by themselves may not be bad. Your fear of missing out may not be a bad thing. But what happens is, is that Satan uses that insecurity, that fear inside of us. He attaches it to the desires that we have already, living in a sinful fallen world. And then if we're not careful, he uses those. And we use those to lead ourselves right into what we wanted to stay away from. Take a look at what the text says in verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. Eve was tempted by Satan. She's standing there at the tree, looking at it, and she starts to rationalize her desires. It's good for food. It's helpful for gaining wisdom. And it's also pleasing to the eyes. If you remember 1 John, what does he say? 1 John says the lust of the flesh, the, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are from the world. The things that she her desires were were working against her, even though they were very true in essence, because God told him that this food was good for these things. But what happens is, is that that fear of missing out, I can't have that one tree. She starts to rationalize and say, oh, wait a minute, but it's good for food. But it's helpful for gaining wisdom. And it's pleasing to the eye. And if you find yourself saying things like, it's okay, because it really doesn't hurt anybody else. If you find yourself saying nobody else has to know, if you find yourself nobody else is going to see, you're rationalizing your desires that ultimately could lead to sin. And that's what the fear of missing out does. Uh, quick note too, he distorted the goodness of the fruit. That's what Satan was trying to do. That's what happened to Eve. They distorted it. She gave some to her husband. and He was complicit in her sin, in his sin. He could have spoke up. And we don't know. Maybe Adam had been attacked before. Maybe this was like the last stand. Maybe he had been trying over and over again to, 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 to stay away from what Satan wanted. And maybe Satan figured, well, if I can't get Adam, I'll go after Eve. We, we don't know. But what we do know is that he rationalized her desire, or she rationalized her desire, and it led her to sin. Uh, just a quick note. FOMO in and of itself is not sinful. The fear of missing out is not necessarily a bad thing. But what does it lead to? Covet, right? I want what I don't have or I want what you have. Jealousy, envy, greed, anger, lust. All of those things, which is why I argue this fear is one of the most dangerous. It's not just going to lead you to one sin. It could lead you to a whole host of sin. And we know that all sin ultimately ends in death. Take a look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. The last thing you need to understand about FOMO and this is so important. FOMO overpromises and underdelivers. Satan told Eve, you're going to be like God. You'll know good and evil. And it's true. She ate the fruit And she suddenly knew what good and evil was, but not like God. She knew all the effects of it. Her eyes were opened, but not in the way that they had hoped. Immediately, shame enters into the world. God holds Adam responsible for this sin, and all of the sin and consequences come to bear on Adam. And what we find out through the rest of Scripture is it bears on all of us as well. And so FOMO, that fear of missing out, always over-promises and underdelivers. You think that if you just get, like, I'll use the analogy of a car again. When you get a new car, you're like, I got a new car. And then what do you notice? Everybody has a new car. And everybody actually has the same car that you have. Right? You think, well, if I just get a better relationship. You know, like, Halle Berry has been voted the sexiest woman alive three different times. Halle Berry has been divorced four times. So no matter what promise or hope was there in her beauty, something else is going on. But yet we think if we just had a better looking spouse, or we just had a better car, or a better house, that suddenly it's going to fix all of our problems. And what do we find out? The problem is indeed us. So start there. And then move on from there. This isn't just FOMO, by the way. This is any sin. It all overpromises and underdelivers. It all sells itself one way and then cuts your feet off from underneath of you. Eve thought she was missing out by that one tree, and I would argue that most likely there's something in your life that you're missing out on as well. Can you see it? And I have nothing against. If you got a new car this week, awesome. I'm celebrating with you. We all need a new car at some point because it is just isn't going to last which is proof yet once again that it overpromises and underdelivers because it's going to break and you're going to have to get another. One. <clears throat> this past spring break, Liam and I were running on spring break and I particularly treasure the idea of running with him right now because this is, I'm convinced the last year I'm going to be able to run and beat him. And so we're out on spring break running around and we were blessed to stay in a really nice area of town and we were cooling down after our run. And as we're walking the streets along, We move two streets over and the houses are bigger, the boats are bigger, and the cars are nicer. We get a third street over and the houses are bigger, the cars are nicer, and the boats are bigger. We get to the fourth street over and you you see what happens? The houses are bigger, the cars are nicer, the boats are more impressive. And I told him, I said, but just a reminder here in four streets, there will always be somebody with more money than you. There will always be somebody with better than you, but there's also a whole lot of people that are worse off than you as well. You want the cure for FOMO, it's to be grateful with what God has given you. Sure enough, we're at dinner that night and a bigger boat yet rolls through. And I said, look, those people all thought they had it in the bank. And this guy's out here cruising through the bay, showing off he's got it bigger than that. So be very, very careful of what you're looking at and what you're doing. Because FOMO can lead, it always overpromises and underdelivers. It can lead us to sin if we're not careful. So what do we do? How do we escape this uh, fear? I got a verse to share and three quick tips, and uh, then I want to talk to you just a little bit more about Eve. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. After Solomon says, it's all meaningless and there's nothing to do, he gives the answer to FOMO right here. He says uh, in, in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 12 through 13, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy do good that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil for this is the gift of God you know what you should do tomorrow be happy do good and find satisfaction where you're at and where God has placed you a couple of uh quick things to share with you just a helpful practical things. Solomon didn't have a smartphone so I'm going to go ahead and <laughs> say this somebody asked me this morning they're like you're always against smartphones I am not against smartphones But if you look at the rate of suicide, depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, behavioral problems, you look at that chart, and around 2007 or 2008, that thing quadruples. What happened in 2006? There was an iPhone that came out, and suddenly we were all put face-to-face with not only our own desires, but everybody else's desire. So, number one, spend less time on your phone if you have the problem of FOMO not saying you can't have a phone, you can't do whatever, just spend less time on it. It'll help in regards to FOMO. Spend less time on your phone. Number two, um, acknowledge that you're gonna miss something. If you travel around the world at all, you'll you'll see this. There's like a whole, every time I'm amazed, every time I go out of the country, I'm like, there's a whole different group of people with a whole different culture and a whole different set of ways that have no concept that I'm even alive. There's always gonna be you're always going to be missing something. Which should hopefully lead us to have gratitude for what we have. And then number three, and this is huge. Allow God's sovereignty to lead towards contentment. Allow God's sovereignty to lead towards contentment. He could have put you at any time, at any place, throughout all of human history. And for whatever reason, he chose to put you in Danville, Indiana, at 9.52 in the morning, today for a certain reason he didn't put you in the civil war he didn't put you in the war of 1812 he didn't put you for some of you i know why he didn't put you in the victorian age he didn't put you in the bible times he put you here today and that idea god's sovereignty the fact that he's over everything that should give us an incredible amount of confidence not in our own abilities Not in our own gumption to figure this out. We should trust that God has placed us here today so that He know, you can know tomorrow morning when you go do whatever you do, that's exactly where He wanted you to be. And that ought to lead you to so much contentment of the fact that you don't have to try harder. You don't have to work and pull up your bootstraps to be better. You don't have to do any of the things that our world says. You don't have to be everything to everybody. You just need to be everything to the person that God puts in front of you today. And when we look at 1 Timothy 6, 6, that says godliness with contentment is great gain, I'm telling you, it is so important. It's been my word for three years, contentment. And I was gonna do it for a fourth year, but I felt like I I was getting just a glimpse of it. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Not only did he put you at the right place at the right time, for the right reason. But he also, for those of us who are Christians, he put us in the body of Christ. And when you understand that, it should transform. I don't have to be the best at everything. Because I can give you a list of about five people that are better than I am. I'm like a left pinky toe. And I'm content with it now. At 35, I was not content. At 30, I was not content with it. But at 40, I'm like, I'm going to play the left pinky toe. And I'm going to do the best pinky toe I can be. I was reading this this week in um, William P. Smith's book, Loving Well. This was so helpful to me. I hope it's helpful to you. When I realized that God makes his gifts fit each person, there's no way I can covet what you got because it just wouldn't fit me. It just wouldn't fit. So instead of running around like all worried about that you've got to measure up and be just right and you have the fear that you're just not good enough and you're just not fast, you're not. You're not good enough. You're not fast enough. You're not smart enough. You're not whatever enough. But God is. And that's what drives us to this final point. FOMO really is a symptom of a greater issue. And that issue is, you find yourself asking, am I loved? Am I significant? Do I matter? And the answer is, unequivocally, 1,000% yes. Everything that we celebrated last weekend is proof that you matter, that you are significant, that you are loved, and what Jesus did on the cross was to die for you. So if you find yourself wondering and find yourself struggling with FOMO this week, please know that that's the symptom of a greater problem of you recognizing who you are in Christ. And that when you settle that issue, everything else will be taken care of. And you may not end up with that great house you wanted. You may not end up with that new whatever. But just as Jesus told Peter and the disciples, I think he would tell you and me today, is that anyone who gives up those things will inherit not only eternal life, but a hundred times more. So yeah, you may not get it today, And you may not get it next week, and you may not get it in your retirement, but one day, Jesus will indeed do that. There's one more thing I want to share with you. In 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 22, it says, for in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. That decision by Eve and Adam sent them to their grave, sent you and I to our grave, but in Christ, we are made alive. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he desires a relationship with with you. He desires to fix the biggest problem you have, which is your sin. And if you don't have that, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him for the dead, you will be saved. And I don't want to be like cringy or quirky more than normal. Um, <clears throat> but you do not want to miss out on what he offers. Because that is the only way you will be right with God. Not your church attendance, not your grandma, not your baptism, not anything else, but in Christ. The way we become in Christ is to admit our sin, to ask for forgiveness, to recognize that Jesus is Lord, and to ask him to come in and be Lord of our life. Not in a add more Jesus into everything else, but literally like he's the new sun, and you're a new planet rotating around it. So, if you've never done that before, I would encourage you to do that today. You can text the number behind me, or you can come find me afterwards but do not leave this room and do not leave this building without setting that free. One more thing. Eve, this is so cool. You want to know if God's going to take care of you this week. This is so cool to me. Um, Eve gets her name at the end of chapter three. It was just woman. Go back and read it. Chapter two, chapter three, all the way to the end. She was just woman. But you know what God named Eve? Eve the giver of life. As a promise, I believe, that he was going to fix the problem that we screwed up. And we know from earlier on in chapter 3 that he promised there would be one who would come. But even Eve's name, who she didn't have before, she was just a woman, but then he gave her the name, the giver of life. God is doing something in your life today that you may not see till we get home. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you really will be missing out. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your love for us today and the reminder of that great fear that plays against us. That God, that Satan loves to use to to make us think that we don't matter. That Satan loves to use to help us to think that we don't care. And that we're not important. And that we're not valued and loved. And thank you so much for Jesus Christ who answers the question of if we're valued and if we're loved, and if we matter. And so God, I got to believe in a room this big that there's probably somebody who doesn't know you. And so if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, can I just encourage you right now to ask God to reveal himself to you? He does that through his word. He does it through his people. And if you get to the place in your life where you're ready to follow him, I would love to talk to you. But for most of us, I would imagine we've done that. And so God, I pray today that you would help all of us here and now that even in this moment, that you would reveal the one thing that we think we're missing out on. And God, that you would show it for what it is. God, help us to be content people. Help us to be people who are satisfied with you and trust in the sovereignty of your care. And God, that that would lead us to be a kind of people. While the world is running around like chickens with their heads cut off, we would be steady. We would be solid we would be secure, not because we did anything in our own effort, but because that's who you are. God, we are grateful for it, thankful that we don't have to live in fear, and I I pray, God, that you would help us to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.